10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn. Hello everyone, welcome to Sonsi, welcome to The Twilight Show with me, Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio and tonight we are talking about violence, antisocial behaviour, aggression towards staff, towards other pupils, what you can do about it, what can be done about it, can we help these children, should we be doing something else, can we help ourselves, off we go. Live from Swansea, this is is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome to Swansea, welcome to the Twilight Show on Teachers Talk Radio with me, Nathan Ginn, on this Wednesday night. And we find ourselves on this Wednesday night talking about aggressive behaviour from students mainly, aggressive behaviour towards staff in some senses, breaking up fights in others. And we are joined by Terrell Simpson, um, Director of Safeguarding Against Aggressive Antisocial Behaviour through sport particularly, but also through some other ways. Now, I think he is with us in the studio, so I'm just going to check. Terrell, are you there? I think so. Can you hear me? Uh, You are coming through loud and clear. Welcome to Teachers Talk Radio. Thank you for having me. Um, so I did a little bit of a brief introduction there, talking about um, uh, uh, you know the, the the name of the organisation that you you are a director of, um, and I, I wanted to put out there at the start of this kind of a, a bit of a scale of the problem, and this is from you know a, a Twitter poll. It is not um, you know authenticated. It's not done in a you know it's it's a couple of hundred people, but. Um, 90% of people who responded said that they had personally, as a member of staff, faced aggressive behaviour from a pupil at school. Does that surprise you? Not at all. Not at all, Nathan, no. It's it's interesting, really, because I was looking through your polls and I was, I was excited, really, to uh, get into it because it, it doesn't surprise me, but, yeah, can't wait to get yeah as i say you know a couple of polls that i did there was that one there was another one about training what training people had had and another one about the expectation of breaking up fights and you know i was surprised i was surprised at some of the comments that came back and certainly um there there seemed to be you know for me an over-reliance on this idea of we can use reasonable force, whatever that means. So I'm hoping we get to talk about that and training a little bit later as well. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm glad we're touching up on these things. Um, yeah, for sure. As I say, but to start us off, really, let's get to know you. Why don't you explain a little bit about who you are, where you come from, what you're doing in education at the moment, um, and you know what your work involves? Yeah, brilliant. So... Um, I'm, as I say, I'm director of um, Saab through Sport. Um, Saab stands for Safeguarding Against Aggressive Antisocial Behaviour. Um, just a bit of an overview. 
of, of myself really and, and the company. Um, I played academy football um, when I was younger for Aston Villa Football Club um, from the age of about 10 all the way up to sort of YTS level. Um, long story short, didn't work out, but played sort of semi-pro football and thought I needed to do something. Went to university, did a PE degree, did you know teaching stuff after that. Um, and I was always fascinated with um, work that my dad did. And he was a social worker and he used to work in a secure unit. And obviously, for those that don't know, in the secure unit, there's the social care side and the education side all under one roof, basically. Mm. Um, always interested in the stories and it kind of made me want to go down that route. So uh, that's what I did. I got some shifts there at the secure unit and ended up doing one or two sort of PE sessions and stuff and really loved that environment. Um, obviously, whilst doing teaching and whatnot, we'd go into mainstream um, education for placements and stuff and, and saw the sort of difference in, in the two settings um, and sort of veered more towards the referral units and the secure units. Um, I was working for a, a, another company, but... I ended up setting up on myself and, and that was the sort of the creation of Saab really. Um, the, the, the creation of the name was just sort of buzzwords around the time, you know, safeguarding is a massive buzzword in education, you know, antisocial behavior is always, you know, it's always in education or in the community, you always hear that word. And mm. I just sort of, you know, all these things, all these buzzwords make me want to get involved in those type of things and use sport as a tool, obviously, for my football background um, and, and just sort of bring everything together, really. Now, can I ask you about the, the name of it just there for a second? You touched yeah. on a couple of the buzzwords, but, you know, aggressive is in there, yeah. as you know, and that's quite, I find, quite a bold word for education because I think sometimes we kind of, you know, step around describing things as they are. You know, sometimes yeah. people say, oh, the child's a little bit bubbly or they're a bit yeah. disruptive. But you, you really went in there with the solid ag aggressive. Was that a deliberate choice? Absolutely. Absolutely. Our, our sort of ethos is around just being direct and being and being transparent as well. Um, and aggressive behaviour is something that we um, witnessed, we worked with, and, and something that we wanted to support people with, support teachers, support pupils. So yeah, it, it was it was very much deliberate. Um, and, and so, current, sorry, and currently, yeah, what and, what work are you doing in sort of schools and people referral units at the moment? You 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 know describe that to us. You, you, yeah, so, you, you go in. Yeah, we go in, and obviously, for, for just to sort of expand on sort of the the training and stuff, I. I made sure that I did an anchor management qualification. Um, I went into a conflict management qualification, went into the neuro-linguistic programming qualification. So I've, I've invested heavily within, within myself and, and the business to sort of bring about some really bespoke packages that we can, that we can provide for pupils. Um, so the work that we do, obviously, is all centred around sport. Um, we use sport as the tool. And it's not just sport, even though, you know, that's the original sort of name, Saab through sport. We actually use other things now like um, DJing and barbering and those sorts of things as sort of a um, social pedagogy sort of uses a common third really to sort of engage the young people. And once we get them hooked on the activities, that's when we can do some of our real work, like the anger management, 
you know, like the behaviour management, whatever it may be, to try and reintegrate them back into lessons or reintegrate them back into school, whatever whatever's needed, really. It's quite, the work is quite varied because we can be in mainstream setting, we can be in a referral unit, we can be in a care home, we can be out in the community. Um, and it's all to do with, the, to be quite honest, the majority of the work that we're doing is centred around um, anger management. And, and that's another, that's a whole other topic in itself. But um, yeah, that's currently what we're doing. Um, and, and I, you know, I just to unpick the cliches, because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sat here as well. And, I, you know, I unfortunately am a cliche myself. I'm a, you know, a, a, a I call. I would say young. I'm not that young anymore. But you know, I was a, a young lad, kind of physically active, going in, working with, you know, these stereotypically young men. Kind of, there was all this perceived perception, um, which actually isn't the reality of what I do. I I tend to find myself now. There is a significant number of female students who I work with as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you're talking about um, being a you know a footballer. You, you're a young man. Um, is there something around that are we a cliche here or is it is it bigger than that or is there just a need for us um it's i I think it's all to do with relationships and and i think that's the main thing and that's sort of a lot of our work is centered around relationships i i am you know i would say you know same as you because it is a sort of a youngish youngish man going and and it's like sporty and it's kind of cool. I I think, I'm glad you've touched on it. I really focus on minute details. So even to the point of our uniform, the Saab uniform is a tracksuit, body warmer, certain things that footballers would wear, um, you know, when the, the footballers are going to like, match days and stuff and they're in their tracksuits mm. and the coats and it's all unified when me and my staff turn up we've all got the same uniform on we've all got the same body warmers on and it just looks the part and it's a head turner to be honest even down to the trainers that we wear you know we buy trainers from i don't know jd sports i don't know if i can say them on radio or not but you know from like, <laughs> oh, yeah other uh, sports, sports providers are sports available providers like... shops, yeah sorry so uh and the, and the kids love those things, and that's what turns their mind. And they'll be like, they're talking about the trainers or the clothes that we've got on, and that's just a way in for us. And then we just start doing our work from there. Um, and I guess the other area that you know that I want to kind of get us out of the way, you know, early on is this is discussions when we're talking about a lot of these things they get pretty heated when we talk about behavior in schools mm. there can really be a divide between what people see is happening um, sometimes i don't think people necessarily understand what alternative provision or what some of the work that yourself is doing maybe actually the, the purpose of it or the point of it um, but certainly there's lots of strong opinions about how to deal with behavior why do you think there is so much spectrum so much heat around it there's a there's a lot of different policies in place Mm. a lot of different policies and procedures in place in all different schools and there's no sort of blueprint that everybody's following the same sort of blueprint if you like and and you can't because every setting is different but at the same time there still needs to be some element of criteria that everybody's following that sticks um Mm. We, 
in, in my opinion, behaviour is especially the, the worst behaviour that we see, quite honestly, is in mainstream settings. Yeah. And that sounds that might sound um, that might sound sort of different to, to people listening in, but it is because there's a there's this sort of um, thinking from not only the staff but the pupils that they're they're untouchable and they can kind of do what they want. Um, and to be honest, some staff in mainstream schools when we go in and do certain training and things like that, they're not actually fully aware of what they can and can't do in terms of behaviour, whether it's low level or it escalates up to, you know, physical and aggression, which we'll probably talk about later. But mm. um, when we're in sort of the referral units or the secure units, they actually know the process. They actually know what's happening in terms of the pupils. So, for example, if, if, if there is sort of real bad behaviour going on within the classroom or there's a fight or whatever it may be, it could end up in a restraint. And because the pupils know that, the, be the behaviour in the setting is kind of followed by everybody. Um, and, I, you know, I would pin this down because I've had, you know, I'll give you two examples of responses to the polls that we put out on Twitter just, just while we talk about it. And this is something that I'd like to get onto when we talk a little bit later about, you know, what sort of training people can have. And I think that would surprise people. You know, I think people would be surprised hearing about the training you put yourself through mm -hmm. as well, that it wasn't, you know, when you described all those things, you weren't saying, oh, you know, I went on an army training course, a police restraint course. You know, there's a, a lot of stuff that comes before that. But when I spoke, um, you know, on Twitter about this, there were mainstream colleagues who were saying, oh, you know, of course I'd break up a fight. No, I've had no training of course I'm going to step in kind of a, a, what I would say a kind of blase approach relying on, you know, this vague definition of reasonable force that maybe people have never had explained to them or, or understand really what is going on because people don't talk about it or don't want to admit that a teacher might have to break up a fight. The opposite was when there was a, a someone who worked in a pupil referral unit who said, Oh, we don't expect staff to break up fights, but everyone is trained to deal with the situation if it were to occur. And the thing that I find myself falling back to all the time is um, I have had more training on fire evacuation and using a stepladder um, every year than I have had on, you know, on breaking up a fight. I am probably far more likely to be injured breaking up a fight then, you know, I have never, thankfully, dealt with a fire, although I knew, you know, the, the risks multiply because it's a large building, etc. But there seems to be a disconnect there for me between people who are, you know, pupil referral units and other provisions who are preparing for the worst and being secure in that way. And mainstream schools who are, in as far as staff training goes, kind of hoping for the best or ignoring it or just kind of, crossing their fingers is that something you would recognize yeah absolutely it, the restraint training that we've delivered or behavior training that we've delivered it predominantly in referral units in secure units um, funnily enough with the fire service I, I delivered some training to the fire service because the fire service go out into the community to mm. tackle antisocial behavior so they contacted us and said can we deliver some training so they recognized the need now what, what schools sort of need to understand is, especially the mainstream setting where there's a lot more pupils, 
is that under health and safety under health and safety legislation, they have to keep staff safe, and that's the thing that staff sort of don't allude to because there probably isn't an understanding around it. So all staff are protected under health and safety legislation, and you would probably say, oh yeah, but we know that. You know, but yeah, you might think about it under manual handling, as you said, or you might cons- or you might think about it under first aid. But no one ever thinks about it in terms of, you know, violence or aggression from young people. And it is a risk. Um, what I would be thinking, and one of the things that I always say is, is that has it happened before? We all know about risk assessments, and everyone says, yeah, oh yeah, I've done risk assessments before. And, but if there's been an incident around violence or aggression within the school, whether it, you know, one incident or, or 20 incidents, that needs to be looked at. And then there needs to be a training needs analysis around that. So when we look at health and safety legislation, all staff are protected under it. And when you look at the management regulations as well, management need to make sure that staff are given the right training to deal with whatever might happen within the school and if there's a if there's a fight or something that's already happened or there's a pupil that's high risk within the school then training needs to be needs to be given why is it not given well we know why it's not given because a member of staff's not going to be freed up to go and do that training but is it is that one person going to be a you know allowed to or supposed to be looking over the whole school for in terms of physical intervention or violence and aggression it needs to be a whole school approach you know we look at whole school approach for for things within the curriculum but we're not looking at a whole school approach in terms of keeping staff safe and and without staff you know things aren't going to be effective well i think on top of that as you say this whole school approach and this open clear culture about it you know i would say that a lot of schools in my experience would probably be worried about putting on their school improvement plan or putting it in front of governors saying oh yeah we need to do this because um you know in case a staff member needs to break up a fight i think it would people are still you know maybe ashamed is the right word scared of admitting that that's the thing in a different way to saying, you know, I could happily sit at any school in front of governors and say, I'm going to get in a, you know, an ex-fireman to show us how to use a fire extinguisher. It's going to be all the staff. We're going to do it for an hour after school, you know, and I think no one would bat an eyelid. They, you know, they wouldn't be sort of going, oh, panic, panic. Why do we need to use fire extinguishers? I think if you said the same thing about um, even just de-escalation of, you know, not even physical restraint, just we're going to spend an hour talking about, you know, keeping yourself safe in an aggressive situation. And that I think people would suddenly be going, oh, hang on, what do you mean aggressive situation? I think there's a, a disconnect there in the health and safety, like you say, between how people perceive the risk. And yet from the feedback, and, you know, I know you've seen some of the comments as well, staff are breaking up fights. And I would say that in every group of teachers, there's probably one that has a story and knows of another member of staff who's broken up a fight and been hit themselves. Yeah. Yeah. There, there is a disconnect and you're right. They are, people don't want to admit as well sometimes that that's happening within their school rather than being proactive and be saying, well, even if it doesn't, we're going to put things in place to keep, to keep staff safe. Um, You know, there's lots of case law out there that people can just go and see. There are, I'm talking from cases from 2005 where 
incidents doubled in 2005 from the last sort of figures from before that, where teachers are getting huge payouts. I'm talking 400,000, 330,000-pound payouts for being attacked by pupils. You know, and it's all out there to see. So if it's out there to see and we know it's happening, it needs to be. It, and let's not get this confused. This is legislation that's protecting us. So health and safety legislation, what people need to understand is that school policies and procedures do not supersede legislation. And that's where there's a disconnect because there is not an under, there's not a, um, a bigger awareness of the legislation. It's out there for everyone to see. And I think if the school was put under pressure... Uh, at, Oh, but going back to my these um these payouts as well. These payouts weren't these these were out of court settlements, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> these are out of court settlements. So these aren't even getting you know to court properly because they know because the the policies and procedures are probably not in place. Risk assessments aren't put in place. Training's not put in place. So then you have to look at risk v cost. And unfortunately, schools are looking at the cost rather than the risk. But I think it is, you know, it's very unique because, you know, as we keep saying, if this was, you know, in a, um, you know, a, a cooking lesson, dropping a, a pan of hot water, I, th I think they would go the other way. If this was in a, um, a PE lesson using a, a trampoline, I think they, you know, they would go the other way and they would be quite happy to go, oh, you know, do you know what? We need more training on that. We need better equipment. We need, you know, there, there is a a fear or you know a closed downness about the fact that aggressive behavior is happening yeah. uh, you know even at that level even admitting that yeah teachers face aggression in school i don't you know i'm not sure that that is on any teacher standard anywhere mm -hmm. as part of training i would be surprised if it was on any pgce training no. you know how to deal with that we certainly get behavior management advice and training of you know make sure you tell them to tuck their uniform in otherwise you know make sure you um you line them up before they come into class we certainly get that but there seems to be a big gap in it yeah it's it's and it's all very low level there's there's not enough in, in training we are pushing on certain things which I sort of i won't go too much into but there does need to be more training around it uh, within when you're doing your PGCE and, and to some degree, even when you're doing your degree, in, in my opinion, you know, it can't just be a, and, and when you look at, when you look at the training around, whether it's behavior management, physical intervention, any of those topics, it, sometimes it's half a day or one day, you know, the physical intervention and we've got the new RRN, the, the um, restraint reduction network that are trying to push things as well. You're talking a three day course that's annually. You know, is, is is that enough to make sure staff have to, um, got the right skills to to manage those sorts of things within their setting? Well, I don't think so. So, that, but the other thing that you've got to think about is that we we live in unfortunately we live in a no win no fee society as well. So, you know, sometimes if 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 for example a teacher puts their hands on a pupil for whatever reason, there's the They've got to justify that, and there's there's questions that need answering, and sometimes people would rather not answer them. Um, 
So that's why I think there's a disconnect as well. Certainly so. Now we have to go to the adverts. Now when I come back from the adverts, I want to you know just put everything into contact. Talk a little bit about um, the kind of aggress you know things we're talking about, ag- aggressive behaviours that might people might be um, seeing in schools. Maybe a little bit about where you think um, those behaviours come from. You know, we, we'll look at the pupil. Um, experience from a pupil point of view I guess then after that once we've had the news a little bit later I want to get into really the kind of training that's available because again you know as you said at the start of the show and and we keep repeating people jump straight to restraint and that isn't the only thing that we you know that that should be on the plate here fantastic so we'll pop to the adverts we'll see you all on the other side need support with your phonics teaching did you know Oxford University Press now has three DFE-validated programs to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello everyone, welcome to Swansea, welcome to the Wednesday Night Twilight Show on Teachers Talk Radio with me, Nathan Ginn, and we are talking about aggressive behaviour in schools with Tyrell Simpson, uh, Director of Safeguarding Against Aggressive Antisocial Behaviour Through Sport. Um, I'm going to start calling it Saab from now on, if that's all right. Yeah, that's it is a mouthful. Yes, please. Just going for it. So, yep, Saab through sport, but also through other things. And before the news, we you know we found out a little bit about our guest. We found out you know we talked a little bit around the topic, a little bit around um, some of the things we found from some of our teachers talk radio Twitter polls that were put out. But I'm going to read out just a little bit from my teaching union. Other teaching unions are available, but from my union about aggression uh, from children and aggression in schools, they give these facts. So the HSE lists that work in education as one of the occupation groups most at risk from workplace violence. 2016-17 crime survey for England and Wales showed that teaching education professionals were higher than average rate of violence at work the eighth highest level um, and that was above things um, like uh, working in retail Um, a survey of the association of teachers and lecturers the atl in 2016 found 40 percent of teachers had experienced violence from pupils i should say our twitter poll found 90 percent maybe not in the last year though Um, of those who have been subject to violence nearly 80 percent said they've been pushed around half had been kicked or an object thrown at them Uh, Freedom of information request um, submitted to local authority in Wales found that there was an average of eight assaults a day on teachers in Wales. Uh, The DfE 
in England in 2014-15 um, showed that there were 20 over 20,000 exclusions for violence against an adult. Um, 2009 European study showed, and this is the bit that I really want to get into as well when we talk about it, uh, the, the, the risk of psychological harm to teachers. It found that while physical risks are low in the educational sector, exposure to psychological uh, risks was high. The threat of violence um, from uh, pupils and non-colleagues uh, was highly prevalent in the educational sector. So that's the state of play according to my teaching union. What do you think? Tyrell, does that surprise you? And it looks like we may have lost you for a second there. I'm just going to try and see. Uh, can you hear me? Okay, I think maybe just for a second there, we've lost our guest, but I'm going to whiz on through. I'm hoping, Tyrell, if you can hear me, if you want to try just clicking off, clicking back on again, we'll see if we can reconnect you. Um, if you are in the studio and you can hear me, just to check, oh, looks like he's joining back in. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, I'm not sure what happened there. We lost you for a little bit of a second. My fault. <laughs> that's okay now i was just reading out some facts from my teaching union yeah i heard all them i heard all them yeah just saying and, and one of the things that at the end there that came in and we haven't maybe touched on yet is um that the, the hazard of being in a high-risk environment you know the fear the psychological impact that can have on teachers the worry um i've certainly have known that um from pregnant colleagues Yep. working in hot you know in 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 that they are more worried and rightly so in some cases um around it but what do you think about that as a you know the psychological risk that people might be facing from not knowing their rights maybe as well makes it worse not knowing what they would do in that situation or not knowing the policies might make it worse as well i guess yeah absolutely well again another buzzword is well-being mm. um you know and if staff don't feel safe if they don't feel like they can manage certain situations I'll, I'll go back to again it's down to health and safety legislation now every employer has has a right under the health and safety at work act to make sure that every employer can conduct their work in a safe and um, a safe environment and a safe manner if they're exposed to risks Again, they need managing under the management regulations, 1999. That, that's, the, that's just the basis of it. Yeah. If, if people haven't got an awareness of what they can and can't do, again, that should be in the policy. That should be down to training. Now, th there's lots of things that I could, obviously what you've said I could spiral yeah. off onto, but if, if, we look, if we just focus on uh, what staff can and can't do, yeah. Um, in terms of breaking up a fight, should we should we just focus on that one for okay. a second? Is that yeah. all right? Yeah. So I'm going to go. There's a few things, and I was reading some of the comments from from the poll. I think everybody morally would stop a fight mm. in school, whether that's in mainstream, whether that's in referral unit, wherever it may be. You're going to stop a fight. We have a duty of care to make sure that we keep 
young people safe. But we also, again, under health and safety, we have a duty of care to keep ourselves safe. Now, if you feel that you can't stop that fight because, I don't know, you're the only one there, there's a group of young people and you feel as though you wouldn't be able to stop it anyway, you're putting yourself in danger. Under health and safety legislation, you don't need to put yourself in that danger. Mm. There are other things that you can do. But then, morally, you're going to be thinking, well, I'm, <laughs> I'm, allow- I'm allowing another young person probably to get beaten up or you know get assaulted or whatever it may be. So we have to look at the policies of the school. Now, believe it or not, there are some schools that, that have hands-off policies, which is illegal, by the way. So if your school does have... Um, a hands-off policy it is illegal because you have a duty of care to keep everyone safe so there's the first thing the second thing is that again legislation supersedes policy and under um, self-defense act reasonable force you can intervene and stop any young person fighting, damaging property, whatever it may be, you can do that under under legislation. So if schools and, and the reason I say this is because that we've got we've had some schools say that they're not gonna put their hands on young people. And we say, well you're not gonna put hands on young people even if they're fighting. Hmm. And they're like, well, that's different. I'm like, no, no, it's not different. You either are going to put your hands on or you're not. So it's a it's a difficult one because people want to know are they going to get in trouble? Are they going to get fired? Yeah. Are they going to get you know? Are they going to be in trouble? No. And if you are in trouble, you are going to get a big payout. What we were talking about earlier, because mm. you cannot do that. And I think you know there is a lot of worry about that. For me, it's it still comes back to and uh, the. If there is worry, there is confusion, and if yeah. and that's because people aren't talking about it enough, or people are, are shying away from it, or maybe somewhere in the leadership team they they don't want to address this as an issue, or they want to skate over it. Yeah. But you know, and and that only creates more fear and more doubt, allows maybe myths to to form, or maybe you know misinformation or a story that they heard about someone else at someone else's school mm-hmm. that might be you know completely out of context, and all of those things bubble in a absence of uh, training and, and and you know and support and advice on it. Now, when I asked the question on Twitter, I did word it really carefully around this idea about expecting. Can can a school expect you? to be breaking up fights. Mm. And the reason that I wanted to do that was I wanted to leave room in the discussion for uh, the situation where if you, if you are regularly expected to do it, as opposed to, you know, it is something that could happen. You know, uh, when we have, again, I bring it back to fire safety training. I was trained to use fire extinguishers, but there was, wasn't an expectation that we would have to use them. You know, it was a just in case, or if you feel the situation arises and you're going to step in, you you could use them, and you're aware of all the rules and the, the expectations. Are, if a school is expecting 
me to use physical restraint and bearing in mind I work in you know pupil referral units and alternative provision now um, I would expect training then would would that be a kind of a, a kind, that would be protected in some way through health and safety law wouldn't it that if you expected to do something you get appropriate training to do it absolutely absolutely and just under health and safety legislation that's all I could keep saying it's health and safety legislation the education and inspections act as well 2006 um keeps everyone safe and the, the thing is as well is yes you are expected if you are expected to that must mean that you are taking in you know some young pupils who carry that level of risk which you, you know you would mm. find in the referral units and and, and whatnot what the, the problem is is that when when mainstream schools get a pupil who is kind of high risk or does kind of display those violent and aggressive behaviours, then they're just excluded or they're sent to the referral unit. So they don't necessarily, that's their kind of um, mechanism for dealing with that behaviour. Mm. So then they would think, well, we can ex- we can just exclude. We haven't really got to do the training because we can just get rid of the pupil. Now, at some point, you've still got to deal with that behaviour. So who who's generally expected to deal with behaviour within a mainstream setting? We're talking about teachers, teaching assistants, yeah. I guess, maybe on duty, yeah. lunchtime yeah. supervisors in primary. Yeah, but the main go-to person is probably oh, like, the, past, the pastoral lead. Pastoral, yeah. Pastoral lead. Oh, go and get the pastoral lead. So what training then is he given? And the worry for me is, is that, Yes, you, you, you're absolutely right. If if you expect it to do it, then you should be given training. What's happening is people are, are expected to deal with these things and not given any training to do it anyway, to deal with the to deal with the stuff. And the other thing is, the people who are writing the policies or putting the behaviour, um, the the, the behaviour strategies in place haven't got any training around conflict management or behaviour management as well. So there's that real lack of knowledge as well. That, that that's kind of coming from the top down. Um, and I know, uh, you know, after the news, I want to get into what kind of the, you know, the training, the conflict management, and all of that support we can put in place. But I wanted to take a moment, if if we can, before to, you know, we've talked very heavily, uh, you know, from the perspective of staff, and and rightly so, you know, we wanted to talk about protecting staff. But if we could take a moment to to reflect to hear your experience of where this aggressive behavior comes from you know why why are we seeing aggressive behavior in in teenagers why are we seeing aggressive behavior to ward staff what are your feelings on where that all comes from um from what we've we've dealt with uh, the majority um of those behaviors are, are coming from unsettled homes and what the pupils are trying to dis- my question always is whenever we're doing briefings or we've you know going over a restraint incident is what what are they trying to convey through mm. their behavior what were they trying to convey at that time and the majority of when we sort of you know go through the incident afterwards and and we sit down with a young person Generally, it's because of something that's that's happened at home, hmm. and that's our we we deal with that all the time. Um, especially when you're seeing sort of 
I'm not talking low level disruption all the time. We're talking, you know, high level getting into restraints, violence and aggression. Generally, you know, which come from something at home, frustration in terms of not getting the right support that they need, whether that be from their learning. And, and it just all comes out. So that that's what I would say. Generally, what we're experiencing is from from home and from frustration from not being able to do the work or access the work for whatever reason. Yeah, and I would echo some of that in the sense that a number of, you know, I predominantly work or am involved around children with social emotional behavioural difficulties. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, a number of times it would often come up that a, uh, a child feels that their issues in class or their um, struggles, uh, they will often say, oh, I can't read. And that comes up a lot and that can be frustrating. Um, but there must be, if there are things that are frustrating for all children. And um, we, not all schools see this level of um, disruption or behaviour. And we can say, you know, there are some very unique children who we work with. But, there, you know, there must be some things that staff or schools are doing that are that escalates the situation, maybe is the right word. Yeah, I mean, I'll, give you, I'll give you an example um, of, of one incident that we dealt with. Um, a, a young girl was... Um, I was called to sort of the English where English lesson, um, and she was swearing and throwing chairs, you know, at, at the teacher because she doesn't want to do this lesson. She doesn't want to do English. She hates English with all the effing and jeffing that went with it. Mm. I went down, sort of, you know, used with the escalative skills, spoke to her, ended up getting her away, um, and sitting her down and talking. Now, long story short, this this young girl who was who was in year eleven ended up she was pregnant, and the and she was worried about telling mum because mum didn't know. And English is the last thing on her mind. You mm. know, she was like, "I I don't want to do this. This and if mum finds out, I'm gonna be." out on the streets because mum was always saying if she got pregnant she'd be kicked out of the house mm. so at, at the teachers obviously for, you know the teacher's point of view she doesn't want to receive all this anger and aggression from this girl and there must be consequences and, and all this sorts of stuff but she didn't know the background story mm. and that's not her fault at all but the the, 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 escalate, the thing that the thing that was more frustrating was that because we dealt with that situation and there was, we just go into the schools and come out. So that wasn't communicated then to the, to the teacher. That young girl then went into the lesson the next day, but the teacher didn't want her in because of what had happened. Mm. Quite rightly so. But there was a reason for that. There was a reason for a behavior and it wasn't communicated. So what needed to happen or what we did put in place was, and I've spoke about this on, on, on Twitter and stuff as well, is the restorative practices afterwards. And and one thing that teachers can do is put those put those processes in place so that if there's an incident like that where there is violence and aggression with the teachers and, 
you know, the teacher could be saying, right, I'm not coming in and escalate the situation again for the next day or hmm. refuse to teach that young person because of what's happened. If there's a process in place, like the restorative practices, then what that means is that all the young people in the class know that that person has come back into class because they've gone through a process and mm. they have been spoken to and they have had a meeting so their behavior has been addressed what's what's happening is sometimes there aren't processes in place and and some staff don't know what to do or there isn't a there isn't a procedure in place from this from a school point of view so that's where it becomes all what, what can we do? What, why is behaviour not being challenged? Why is this person back in my lesson? Because there aren't any processes in place. And I would probably, you know, a, a brilliant example that you've given, and I would use that to draw a line between what we're talking about when, you know, I certainly, and maybe when we get onto the, the, the different levels of training, I certainly would be someone who would, you know, like yourself there, be getting involved using de-escalation techniques to talk to a child who is frustrated, angry. Mm. And But there is a difference between that and a, um, a, a part of aggressive behavior that is premeditated, maybe, or is, um, you know, just violent and vindictive, possibly, yeah. in nature. And I would not be dealing with that. A, a child like you described, I would feel that my training so far has confidently put me in a place to be able to do that. A child deliberately bringing a knife to school to harm someone, I would, I would be standing well back. And so there are yeah. different kinds of aggression we can Absolutely. talk about. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Do you want me to touch on that? Well, you can do. Yeah. If you well, want. well, the, 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 the knife people bringing knives into school, which again, we've dealt with, then you're going into something different because then you're talking about search, searching powers if staff are willing to put themselves in that situation. Now, again, staff have got rights to search if they believe that um, young people may be carrying a knife or, or edge weapon or something along those lines. Um, again, have they been trained to search? Um, health and safety legislation, do they feel safe to even conduct the search? But again, they have a duty of care to keep themselves and everybody else in the school safe. So a search probably would need to be conducted. Again, mainstream settings set up different. So, you know, the environments we work in, there are ones and stuff on the, on, on as soon as we go in and, mm. you know, different procedures are put in place. But, uh, you know, just standard mainstream setting, you're not really going to be geared up for that. But my advice to, to, to staff would be if they're not willing to put themselves in that situation and it sounds a bit cliche but just ring the police because you know if if the police are called in the community to a knife incident the majority of the time they come armed response are sent mm. the reason armed responses are sent is because there are more deaths from a knife than there are from a gun now why would staff then be, be, you know, putting themselves in that situation to try and get a knife off a young person? Mm. If, the, if that, especially if that young person is showing, you know, high levels of anxiety or, you know, just showing violence or showing aggression in that time as well, it's, it's just too dangerous. 
And I am hoping, you know, once we, we're going to go to the news in a second, but when we get back, we get to talk about this training because, you know, what you've kind of touched on there about feeling confident is my worry in mainstream settings is there is maybe a false confidence from not dealing with enough of these situations where people might be gung-ho rolling into situations that are more complicated. They are at risk yeah. of escalating. Yeah. You know, particularly when I see comments, you know, uh, about people talking about the, oh, I'm, a, you know, I'm a big man. I'm physically not worried about, you know, some people can have a false bravado around this and it's not about physicality. I, I deal with this. Um, I deal with this stuff day in, day out. I am five, me myself personally, I'm five foot and a fag nub. So, you know, I, I'm i not physically intimidated at all. But I said a bit, I said a bit like Liam Neeson, but what I do have is a certain set of skills. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and I use those skills quite well. And the majority of the time, it's de-escalative skills. But well, you are right. It's normally the, the, the big strapping young, um, big strapping teacher, you know, nine times out of ten, the PE teacher getting sent in to deal with this type of stuff and and even though they may feel confident about you know dealing with um a young person in that situation what they, what you have to take to, into consideration in that moment is everyone's ego mm. you know and and if you've got a young person who's you know who's through the roof uh, and and you've got uh, someone with an ego of oh um you know i'll be able to deal with this young man physically you know it's just a recipe for disaster. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to go to the news. And I love, you know, when we come back, we'll be talking about your Liam Neeson set of <laughs> particular set of skills. Um, what we can, you know, what maybe schools, if there are senior leaders out here working in challenging environments, um, you know, what they might be thinking about as appropriate training in the same way that you consider, you know, ladder training or health and safety training. Uh, and we'll talk about that when we come back. Is that all right? Brilliant. Brilliant. Fantastic. So we're going to the news. We'll see you all on the other side. This is Teachers Talk Radio. And this is Teachers Talk Radio News. This is your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. For the second year in a row, Christmas lunches and concerts in schools have been cancelled in Wales and Scotland. As the UK's COVID infection rates continue to rise, it's feared that schools in England and Northern Ireland will face a similar situation. Scottish councils are following local advice and advising schools to opt for virtual concerts instead. A spokesperson for Highland Council said, the Highland Council recognises the positive impact that concerts and other events have on the wider health and development of children. However, COVID-19 remains present in our schools and communities, and therefore Highland schools have been advised that large events beyond a class should not take place indoors or for a live audience. Bye. 
The chairman of Kent Association of Head Teachers, Alan Brooks, has highlighted a shortage of teaching assistants across the county. He said, It is becoming increasingly difficult to recruit teaching assistants and support our staff within schools. One of the things schools used to achieve was to offer flexibility in terms of holiday compared to other employers. However, a lot of other companies are offering flexible hours during the pandemic, like supermarkets, which means there is more competition. Money is an obstacle in terms of taking jobs. Local authorities and schools are not blind to that. It's hard to see how we can do a huge amount in terms of salary increase without more help. Becoming a teaching assistant is a worthwhile job. Working with young people, you can see what you are doing is helpful and relevant, most often helping the most vulnerable students grow, which is tremendously satisfying. This has been your daily education news briefing. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello everyone, welcome to Swansea. Uh, welcome back to The Twilight Show with me, Nathan Ginn, on this Wednesday night. And we are here with Tyrell Simpson, Director of Safeguarding Against Aggressive Antisocial Behaviour Through Support. Um, and we have been talking in the first parts of the show about you know, the state of play as we are with some of the, the amounts of aggressive behaviour that people face in school, some of the legislation around that about what teachers can and can't do, what schools can and can't expect from you. And we are now in this final half hour of the show going to be talking about uh, some of the training and the skills that could be supporting people um, in situations like this. So welcome back, Tyrell. Thank you. Fabulous. Just checking you are still there. Yeah, (laughs) loud and clear. Um, Now, I raised my concerns a little bit earlier about the emotional impact of being uncertain about how you would deal with these situations. And I see that in staff in different schools that I work in um, over time that I will, you know, start working at a school or, or with a school where there are behavioral issues, certainly aggressive behaviors and violent behavior. Um, and staff are worried and unsure and I think that undermines everything it makes them afraid to put um, rules in place so this not knowing for me and not knowing what you can and can't do is a real danger yeah massive um, but you know as, as we said before uh, legislation supersedes everything so if staff are worried and they are concerned then it needs to be raised because sometimes the policies and procedures in place aren't actually keeping staff safe Mm. Um, and that needs to be looked at and and what we're finding when we do go in and do training for someone access to go and you know do an intervention um, 
we're finding that sometimes the, the, the policies and procedures are actually conflicting with legislation. Mm. So it doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense. So you can't have a policy that's conflicting legislation because then you know then, then you breaking the law because because if you like for example when i said we went in and the school had a hands-off policy mm. well actually then you sort of neglected your duty of care to the young people so you can't have those things in place and it's the same with staff you can't put barriers in place to um, not protect staff and you know, I guess myself, maybe you. I I am very much more of the the openness idea of this that we can train, we can support through openness, through honesty about it. Um, we we can make the school environment safer from these behaviours because we can either better understand what we're dealing with, better de-escalate. And okay, so that gets us on to training. So my first off, I think for for every member of staff, if there is a school and they are worried about. Uh, aggressive behavior in school i would say a good place to start is some kind of training around um, adverse childhood experiences where all of that can come from what home life can be like you know let's get the ground set well that we are understanding that we are dealing with complex human beings Mm -hmm. right so I, i would put that out there as my base level if you don't have that in your in your staff you're really going to struggle to build on what comes next and sometimes i think people start at the other end and they kind of go, right, oh, we've got a behavior problem. Quick restraint train everyone. Yeah. So I'm starting at the bottom. Would you agree that that's a good place to, to kind of start? Yeah, 1,000%. You, you, you've got to have an understanding of behavior and, and the root causes and, and where all that comes from. Because if it's it's no more than just doing a training needs analysis. You know, some we get asked by some schools, can you come in and do some physical intervention training? Well, have you had any violent incidents? No. So why do you want the training then? Because um, we've heard that we need it. Mm. But you haven't had any incidents. Yeah, but we want it. And it's like, so then we go in and have the discussion and we break it down. So it, it, I 1000% agree with you, you know, go and understand behaviour first, see where it's all coming from and then work your way up. And then, so, the, you know, you've talked a little bit about de-escalation and de-escalation training. Can you talk us through about that? Because that would be where I'd, I think I would be looking next. But, you know, I don't want people physically trained in restraint and those things before they've tried these other steps first. So how would you describe de-escalation or the kind of training that's involved in that? The, the de-escalation is just, oh, you know, we did it through, well, I did it through the conflict management trainer-trainer. So that's what I ended up doing. I did a conflict management training, the trainer, numerous, you know, and on that, a lot of it is the de-escalative strategies and things that you would use. And it's transferable skills, you know. It's things, on the course, and it sounds a bit sort of mad to be talking about this on the teacher's radio, but some of the security staff on nightclubs and stuff, the amount of de-escalation strategies that they're using especially while people are drunk and, and to get people out of a venue or to, to, to stop an argument or fight. I mean, it's the same sort of stuff. Um, and, and that's what we use. We're just using de-escalative strategies to talk people down, diversion tactics, because some of the young people that we're working with anyway, you know, it's, it's easy to divert them. It's easy to divert them away from the situation sometimes. So you have to be on the ball and being proactive. Um, 
And we're not talking about, you know, we're talking about something different to force meeting force here, as I would describe it. You know, there, there is something aggressive going on. You don't go guns blazing in with aggression to meet that aggression. No, we, we always start low. And, and it's, you know, we always, another buzzword from being, you know, a therapeutic approach. And you have to take that approach. Um, you know, we spoke about the, the people who are expected to do it earlier or, or the, you know, the six-foot teacher who doesn't mind dealing with the, the physical behaviour. The majority of incidents that are de-escalated are from someone who's gone there and just used a softly approach and actually just asked the young person, what's wrong? Mm. Not fought fire with fire, as you say. And so, you know, we, we potentially, and, you know, when I've done it, you, you, you're talking about a, at least a day, maybe around that, maybe a half day if you're doing a kind of short course. But it, de-escalation in itself is quite a big thing to ask. It's not a 10 minutes at the end of a staff meeting. No. And as I said, it all this training that, that needs to happen is happening annually. And sometimes it's not happening annually. And it needs to be all the time. And, and it needs to be embedded within staff briefings, I believe. Or, you know, we revisit it every month or at least once every half term because it's too big of a topic to just leave it annually. Um, and that then takes us on to, I guess, the bit that people would most be, of, I don't want to say familiar with, because I don't think people really understand it at all. But the thing that people would fraught most, as you say, restraint training, people talk about physical intervention, they talk about these things. Mm. Um, I have always said, you know, when I was a school leader, um, you know, before in working in mainstream, I always had a, a kind of general philosophy that if someone comes to me saying they want restraint training, they're probably not the person that I want restraint trained because <laughs> it is it is not something that you want to do. You shouldn't want to do it because, you know, for me, it is one of the most distressing things that I've ever done. It's horrible to have to do it. It's traumatizing for me. It's traumatizing for, for, for the pupil. It's, you know, it's a a lose-lose situation so all of those things that come beforehand certainly but also I, I don't think it's what people think it is it hasn't you know I've still been hit I've still been you know spat out I've still been bitten and I'm trained you know it hasn't made me a ninja so can you talk us through about what 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 actually is meant by sort of physical intervention restraint training the kind of things that it actually covers because I would say it it doesn't help me actually break up a fight. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't. And there's a lot of... The, if we're talking about breaking up a fight, and we're talking about physical intervention training, the actual physical intervention training actually requires it there to be two people to, minimum to do a restraint mm. for health and safety, for following manual handling guidance, so, you know, and th people don't realise that if you are being, if you are physically restraining someone, the person who you're restraining is a load. That comes in manual, hand manual handling regulations. So, if you're going to break up a fight, then actually, it, breaking up a fight and physical intervention is two different things. If you're just getting in the middle of a fight and you're just going to put your hands up and just your presence alone is enough to break up the fight, then fantastic. If you've then got to put hands on to actually pull someone off, 
then we're getting into the realms of physical intervention. So you, we need to kind of dissect that, you know, at the time. Can you get in the middle and just put your arms up and, you know, raise your voice and it stops? Yes, brilliant. Everyone goes away. Everyone's happy. If not, you've got to go in and you've got to then put hands on. You are then in the physical restraint realm. And that needs a minimum of two people. And this is why it gets a bit um, difficult because then, and this is where leaders, I suppose, or schools, if you like, do get worried because if then someone does get hurt, and, and this is the technical part, and this is where people are going to sort of be like, ah, oh, yeah. If somebody does get hurt and someone isn't restraint trained, then potentially there could be um, a prosecution because, one, the teacher isn't trained to do that type of training. However, the law says that you can use physical intervention um, by any means necessary or, sorry, if we're talking about reasonable force, what's reasonable in the circumstances and to pull somebody off someone while they're hitting someone, you're within your right to do so within um, within the guidance, well, sorry, within legislation. So that's where there's a lot of conflicting issues. And as I mentioned before about this no win, no fee society that we live in, that's why people are scared to sort of get into this sort of topic and get involved in these type of things because it just causes so much chaos. Mm. And certainly escalates the risk as well, because it's worth saying that, you know, if you are then restraining someone for a long period of time, there are associated risks with the positions that you hold people in. Yep. And there will be, you know, people will be familiar with um, cases where the police have held someone in an awkward position and it has led to, um, you know, deaths and injuries, you know. Um, it So it gets incredibly complicated incredibly quickly, doesn't it? It does. It does. Uh Th those things do happen, mm -hmm. um, but you've also then got to look at, if we're looking at the technicalities of it all, is if if you're in an environment where there's a pupil that may need restraining because of the, the sort of level of risk or their, their, whatever their paperwork says that they're known to display violence and aggression, then that would be on their risk assessment. The other thing is, is that our staff physically capable of carrying out that risk assessment have we got any underlying issues have we got any injuries that would stop them from carrying out or fulfilling that risk assessment and if if they have then they wouldn't be expected to or be able to restrain because of those reasons that would also need to be put on the risk assessment therefore there'd need to be measures in place to make sure that there are some people around or there are people around to make sure that that can be done safely and keep everyone safe pupils and staff and so um, and this is where i think there is um real uh issues around senior leadership or, or school organizations maybe just the education as a whole understanding the the complexity of the issue but also the solutions to the issue because you can look at an issue of you know okay i can look as a senior leader and say okay there was a fight in the playground today and a staff member got hurt breaking it up what do i need to do i you know but people can make you can put in the wrong safety measures then you could say oh okay you know i i, I don't um i'm going to restraint train everyone or we're gonna you know it's it, 
it's far more complicated than people realize and people i i feel often glibly kind of go into it as i say you know we've used a, a stereotypical example of the the rugby playing male pe teacher who, who doesn't mind um you know bowling in there and shouting at people but w- the complex children that we're dealing with uh, need a complex solution sometimes yeah absolutely but you know if if we're looking at you know um what teachers can and can't do and you know in terms of physical intervention what the two things obviously that are, are on our course and i'm giving free information out here i should be charging for this yeah <laughs> it's, uh, what reasonable force obviously you touched on it earlier and that's something that it's that's the sort of basis of physical intervention anyway and and what i would say to listeners is that in in order for physical intervention to be justified in in whatever you know in whatever context we're looking at it, it sort of covers two things and the two things are is it is it reasonable obviously reasonable is reasonable force but the two things uh, is it necessary to actually intervene at that time? If it's necessary, then it needs to be proportionate as well. Mm. Because if it's necessary to intervene, then obviously you must do it. But your intervention does need to be proportionate. So if it's just you know a, a verbal a verbal argument in in the in the playground and you just run over and it's a full-on rugby tackle and restraint and you're in there on the mm. floor, go to ground. Obviously, that's not proportionate. But if your intervention is necessary and it is proportionate, then it's reasonable. And those are the only two things that make up reasonable force, whether it's necessary and whether it's proportionate. And if you can hand on heart say that your intervention was necessary and it was proportionate then you've got nothing to worry about and i would say that that you know from what you've said earlier to kind of paraphrase a little bit is that if you don't feel that you can safely intervene Mm -hmm. then you are also then uh, with within the law within the expectation that you don't intervene so if i was watching that fight and i was a pregnant member of staff i don't have to intervene if i can't keep myself safe Absolutely. But something does still need to be done to make yeah. sure that the young people are kept safe. So, yes, don't put yourself in that situation that puts you in danger or you're at risk, but at least still take... Like raising the alarm, blowing the, the whistle really loudly, yeah, getting absolutely. someone else, um, but not feeling that I have to just because I can. And that, I guess, yeah. this this nuance of everything... Um, uh, we are going to go to the ad breaks in a minute, but before we do, and, and, and then we do our, our kind of final thoughts right at the end, I wanted to touch on maybe your feelings around what happens after, because I think this is something that often gets forgotten, and a you know a physical altercation can can last you know last barely minutes, and even if it gets to restraint level, you know you're never restraining someone for 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 a, an in, a, a long period of time anyway. But the, the amount of time that you need to dedicate as a school afterwards, for me, sometimes get forgotten. Not just the rest- restorative practice, but the the support, the emotional support for staff um, facing aggression. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just from a staff perspective, 
or from a pupil perspective yeah. as well, well isn't from, it? Well, yeah. yeah, from I mean, from the, the I mean, some of the restraints that we've done have gone on for long periods of time. You know, the, mm. there are times where we've been in restraints for long, long periods of time, and um, everybody has needed to be kept safe. But in terms of the after, the after part, the aftercare, you know, also when we're restraining, the young persons are, you know, can be treated as a medical emergency, mm. and, and there are people on on sort of standby to look out for the look out for those signs. But as you mentioned before, it's traumatic for everybody, not just the staff and the pupils involved, but the people watching as well, because it can look yeah. horrific. You know, sometimes we've had to do, we've had to do restraints in public, and luckily we've got our ID badges and lanyards on and stuff, so we, and we can kind of say what we're doing and the work we're in. But it, it looks horrific, and it can look horrific. Um, and everybody, it, you do take it home with you as a member of staff, and you don't want to do it, but. There are we've put things in place where, you know, there are not just as you said, not just the restorative practices, but some of the um, contracts that we've got. There are clinical psychologists on site, so we can utilise those. Now, obviously, not everybody's going to have access to that, um, but that's just something that we have um, at, at our disposal. So there are times where the people will have meetings with the clinical psychologist, staff will have their time with the clinical psychologist. Then there will be the restorative meetings. Um, so there's lots of different steps that have been placed that we've put in place. Um, for staff in normal mainstream setting, they're not going to have that access. So I don't know what, what procedures are in place in obviously most schools, but sometimes you may not want to come in the next day because mm. of that incident. And what support is then put in place for staff to, to overcome that? No, I would say that, you know, mostly it is absent from my experience, but there are some schools and I've had guests on and I, I use my sister's um, is an assistant head at a school um, as well. And her school is an amazing example where they have as many mental health first aiders as they have first aiders for yeah. a start, which I think yeah. is fantastic. Um, but anyone involved in that role or a pastoral role or, um, you know, designated safe gun leads as well has a regular supervision with um, a mental health nurse. Um, and then on top of that, if there is an emergency situation, which I would, you know, it, we're talking about a restraint in mainstream school, I would, I'd class that as kind of quite out the blue emergency situation, yeah. you know, because it's a mainstream setting. They're able to put those things in afterwards as well. And that, that for me is like, you know, the A-star duty of care there to your yes. staff and your pupils, you're really considering quite the impact that this can have. Yeah, and, and, and that is a fantastic example. And, it, and it's quite rare that you see that. And it, it, I might seem like I'm bashing schools at the minute by some of the things I'm saying, but I, I don't, it, in no way, shape or form am I, am I trying to. But there does need to be more support for staff. We're in a, We're working in a sector where it's very pupil-biased, and it's like the, the, the children need this and the pupils need this. We don't work in this setting because, you know, oh, we want it. We, we, everybody that works in this setting loves working with children and wants the best for children. But at the same time, we need to make sure that we've put things in place to safeguard ourselves and keep ourselves safe as well, or else we're not going to be able to give the children the full support and guidance and everything that they need. Um, I would I would strongly say that 
mental health nurses that are in school now at the minute because there's a there's a big push isn't there at the minute for for mental health nurses and for, to, for staff to train as well yeah and i think you know that is that there is an element where we are taking it more seriously but you know as always i think there is a maybe an underrepresentation of the risk an underrepresentation of the amount of times it happens um, there is an assumption that you know and even as i say on the twitter polls that i've put out people have kind of come back and said oh but you work in ap so it's yeah. different isn't it it's different and i like you i mean you, you said earlier as well that people would be surprised that the most a lot of people in ap would consider mainstream settings to be more at risk more more violent in in cases um that, than some of the specialist provisions yeah i i would in some of this in some of the um schools that we've been into and dealt with some of the stuff that we've dealt with yeah so because of the process mainly because everybody knows the process yeah, I think you're more prepared. It, well, being prepared and that makes you more prepared. You're ready for it. You're better trained for it. All of those things. This out of the blueness, this this relying on a glib phrase, you know, of, oh, don't worry. If it, if it happens, you, you can use reasonable force with never any explanation of it. All of these things uh, can happen. Now, we've got one more set of ad breaks, but when we come back, I'd love to hear kind of your final thoughts top tips if it were or, or wishes and dreams from me it's going to be for what people do you know off the back of this what can change in schools so we're off to the ad breaks and we'll see everyone in just a second need support with your phonics teaching did you know oxford university press now has three dfe validated programs to help you read write ink phonics floppies phonics and the brand new essential letters and sounds Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Borodal Pab, Kroisui Abatawi. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Swansea. Welcome to the Wednesday Twilight Show with me, Nathan Ginn, on Teachers Talk Radio. We're talking to Tyrell Simpson, Director of Safeguarding Against Aggressive Antisocial Behaviour Through Sport. Um, we're talking about aggressive behaviour in schools, um, and we have talked through some of the causes, we've talked through some of the legislation, the rules around it, the training that people can have, and we are at the the, the very end of the show um, where we're going to talk about maybe some last top tips, some hopes and wishes that people can take away from the, the show tonight. Um, one of the things that I didn't get to mention, we, we you know, we haven't mentioned enough about yet for me, is um, that this, this isn't um, a write-off for me. Aggressive behaviour isn't an unsolvable problem in my opinion how do you feel about that statement yeah so what you you don't think it's an unsolvable problem 
for if a child is exhibiting aggressive behavior there's a way back for them absolutely and it goes back to you know what you said before about understanding the you know behavior and and having that basis of training first um you know we get into into interventions you know physical interventions and the, the process that we put in place is that the next stage is a new slate mm. you know it's, yes we we talk about the aftercare and make sure you know there's there's no medical um, injuries on both parts everybody's okay but but then once all that as once we go through everything we want to get back to normal as quickly as possible and you know you, you some of the work you would do through the sport through the relationships you build whether it be through the barbering the music um the, you're able to have those kind of coaching conversations i would describe it as or maybe mentoring maybe that's not the right word but to talk to pupils children students about how how to cope with the, the these this anger and how to resolve it differently the next time yeah, definitely, and we use it. We use it through the through the NLP mainly, you know, when we when we use anchoring a lot. So that that is one of the strategies. Um, but yeah, to to put processes in place and to actually have the time. The thing is, in the environments that we're working, we can um, dedicate time to particular young pe- pupils who are probably of high risk where they've got a section on their tab- timetable where they are with us. Um, and, and that's not just, you know, once a week. That can, that can be a couple of hours a day for a number of weeks and really embed some of these things um, and, and build better relationships around the school with them. Because And that's all it is. Sometimes the, the relationships are broken down so that all of a sudden this, this behaviour is then displayed and that for me is the i guess the final piece of the um risk assessment you know puzzle that we we've talked through the different kind of levels of risk and responsibility and those things but unless you are going to do something you know to to reduce the risk as well as protect people from the risk you know it's all right putting lots of armor on people by giving them you know restraint or giving them body cams you, you have to reduce the risk as well and doing something like that can actually reduce the likelihood of it occurring again yeah absolutely you know bespoke timetables and i know it's hard i mean it's quite it's quite hard for me to talk about what sort of mainstream timetables can do because obviously in the settings we work in we can just do it at the drop of a hat we can Mm. we can we can make you know put a bespoke timetable together for an individual straight away we're geared up for that Um, mainstream probably aren't but what usually would happen is we get called into mainstream settings to do a piece of work with a particular young person or with a group or, you know, a, a year seven class that has, <laughs> that's not towing the line at the minute. But once a week, you know, for a half term isn't, isn't enough sometimes, especially if we're talking on a one-to-one basis. And so... It leads us to you know the last five minutes of the show. Um, what would be your, your your final tips or your hopes that you pe- that people take away from this? For me, it, it would be that um, leadership face up 
to this being an issue you know if you if you're happy to face up to people are falling off tables putting up displays if you're happy to face up to fire training needing to be done every month you need to face up to the fact that there is aggression in schools and, and we need to risk assess for it yeah um top tips hopes and dreams where are you going to go with the last couple of minutes um i, w- I would i would sort of say for people to go and really dissect their behaviour policies and see whether it does sit in line with legislation, you know, particularly with health and, health and safety legislation. Does it sit in, in line with the education and inspections legislation? And really put things and really sort of see whether you are or you feel comfortable with with the policy. Um, that, that would be a start. You know, understanding for the people that were unsure of what they can and couldn't do, just remember the two things that make up reasonable force, whether it's necessary and whether it's proportionate. And if the things are necessary and you and and you and your actions are proportionate, then your actions justified, and and that would always stand in a, in a court setting. And for me, I guess on the back of that as well is that if if you are so significantly worried about it, talk to your members of SLT. But you know, sometimes and in schools I have worked in, through the nature of the choices I make about my career, is something big needs to be done around the behavioural culture that it has got to the level that people, are, teachers, are in fear, and maybe that is a whole bigger school issue than we're really talking about here but you know if your staff body are that worried about their safety and whether or not they will be physically harmed or have to physically involve in something there's probably a bigger issue for the school than that you know that you're really dealing with there absolutely but again my advice and and, you know i don't want i don't want people to to fall out with me over this but it Health and safety legislation states that if you don't feel safe going into your workplace for whatever reason, then you don't have to. It's no more than, you know, if there's a fire, you wouldn't go back into the school because you know that you'd be putting yourself in danger. Mm. You don't have to be in your setting if you don't feel safe under health and safety legislation. And yeah, and I would tag onto that as well you know emotional but maybe not emotional isn't the right word uh, mental health type safety around the threat of physical violence the threat of um the the worry of it of of walking down the corridors because they are so um intimidating is a harm and is something that should be safeguarded against or protected against absolutely and and it's a criminal offense you know Mm. when we are doing these interventions for young people around uh, you know aggressive behavior we let them know that their actions are actually criminal offences. A threat is a criminal offence. So they need to know these things as well. And are these things within the behaviour policy? Because then pupils can be told and, and known that their actions aren't going to be um, tolerated within the school setting or in the classroom. Yeah, 100%. You know, I think that that, that criminally, criminal culpability, that, that age where you become um, uh, differently uh, uh, identified by the law at different stages as, mm. as you grow up, you know, depending on your age, I think ch- children need to be aware of that and aware of what the consequences. And sometimes we think of schools as being different to the outside community. But if you wouldn't 
if you, if you wouldn't be able to get away with it in McDonald's, you know, it, it, a school is no different. It is a public place. Exactly. Fabulous. Well, listen, it's been wonderful talking to you. You, you know, lo- lots of advice, lots of clarity for us, I think. Um, love to talk to you more about your Liam Neeson particular set of skills. I love that. <laughs> Um, absolutely stunning turn of phrase um, thank you again for coming in no thank you for having me I've, I've really enjoyed it I hope I've articulated um, you know well enough and, and hopefully um, I've given people a bit of clarity on some of the issues but you know if anybody does need any more clarity or wanted to ask me anything specific don't hesitate I'll, I'll answer anything so contact us on Twitter or whatnot, and we'll we'll answer your questions if you want anything clarifying further fabulous thank you so much now if you have just joined us right at the end don't forget you can find this on uh, ttradio.org slash listen back along with all of our shows you can search for topics or you can find us on any good podcast service um, it's the end of the show nostar as we say here in south wales good night um good night tyrell thank you for having Nathan. thank you fabulous ta-da okay. bye You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.